So if you have a Bible, uh, we have a lot to do. So Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, pretty short text. I'm going to read it, pray, and then we'll uh, walk through it for a few minutes together. Starting with verse 13, uh, Matthew writes, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Uh, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. God, uh, walk us through this simple scene uh, this morning and teach us something uh, about ourselves, about you, uh, and give us uh, the courage to live out what we hear today. And it's in your name that we pray, and everyone said, amen. Now again, when the gospel writers tell us these stories, they do so with with a certain bent towards uh, things they want us to see and to hear and to feel. And in this one, uh, and this is the case really with, with Matthew and his gospel when it comes to John and Jesus, and at the heart of this scene is this relationship between the lesser and the greater. Um, and like he always does, Jesus confuses the two. And it's there that we find our way through this story. It's very interesting, and also just by the way, in all four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the resurrection is a story that's in all four Gospels, and this story, in some form, uh, is in all four. It's, very, it's a very important scene in the early life of Jesus. So let's just kind of walk through it piece by piece. Jesus comes from Galilee. It's where he's uh, coming from, and he ends up at the Jordan. And so we're going to talk about the Jordan River here just for a few moments. And um, if, you, if you're familiar with the Jordan River... Um, it is a river. Uh, it is a pretty big river. Uh, it runs uh, quite a long ways. But it, more than that, it holds a place in Israel's history and in their stories, a very important piece of their story. Now, we don't have time to do their whole story. That's the whole Old Testament. But, um, I mean, I will if you guys want to. We can do it. Um, but the, the Jordan River is where the Israelites crossed over into Canaan. And so it's a, it's a very important piece of their story in terms of their freedom and obviously their journey uh, to the land of Canaan. Uh, if you're familiar with the, the book of Joshua, I don't know why you would be. It's kind of a scary book. Um, but there are some really beautiful uh, stories in there. Joshua, of course, follows Moses as Israel's leader after Moses passes away. And uh, when they cross the Jordan... Joshua gives these instructions to grab 12 stones uh, from the river, each representing a tribe of Israel, and to build this memorial for them walking across the Jordan and into the land. Um, Now, the way the book of Joshua writes it is it tells just what they did with the stones, and then it says, and they're there to this very day. I don't know if that's true, but at the time of the writing, perhaps they were still there. Uh, I'm sure uh, they've been snatched up and, and sold uh, in random Christian bookstores. Um, so, 
If you're from the Atlanta area, the church up on the north side known as Twelve Stone, that's sort of the, that's the etymology there. Um, now, the Jordan River itself is a symbol, again, uh, in Israel's story. It's a symbol of death and also of resurrection, of passing through from one life to the next. So it's a very important piece of their story. Uh, the fourth century theologian Cyril of Jerusalem uh, writes, water is at the origin of the world, and the Jordan is at the origin of the Gospels. And so it, it sits in a very important place, not just in Israel's story, but here in the Jesus story as well. And John is at the Jordan. This is where John is doing his business. Um, John is a prophet. John has a lot of disciples. Uh, John is very popular. Uh, his acts and behaviors at the, the river and in general are kind of street theater uh, he's quite aware of how it looks to be positioning himself at the river. Uh, he's aware of what the symbols are. Uh, and so he does this on purpose. Uh, John was very well known at this point uh, in the story, way more known than Jesus. Uh, John had the coveted blue check mark by his name. Uh, Jesus was still, thank you, Jesus was still up and coming. And John is baptizing people. This is where he gets the nickname, the baptizer or the immerser, uh, because up until this point, we have no record of anyone being baptized in history by another person. Baptism was a ritual washing that you did yourself. You walked into a pool of water and you went under and you came back up yourself. It was a a ritual that was self-administered. But John, uh, ever the gruff, prophet of the wilderness is apparently grabbing people by the cloaks and dipping them into the river by his own hands. Um, Now, that's significant for a lot of reasons, but the biggest one is that John apparently is not afraid to touch a sinful person. This is why no one ever baptized others. You're doing it for your own washing. Nothing should be contaminated or passed on. It's very strange. John seems to just, you know, not care about that. He grabs people and baptizes them. He is the baptizer. He's not a denomination. He's the baptizer. Um, Baptism is both visually and literally a kind of burial. Uh, It was a word used in the ancient world to describe ships that had gone down at sea. Uh, It was also used, uh, those who dyed leather, to change the color of leather, uh, you baptized the leather into the dye, which is an incredible image because it's something and it goes into something and it comes out something totally different. So there's a, it's a symbol. Baptism is a symbol of an exchange that takes place in the life of the person. And so when Jesus stood in the river with all of John's disciples, he was submitting himself um, to John and to John's baptism. It's a very weird Seen and John felt that. That's why John protests Jesus wanting to be baptized by him. Uh, his own protest of this is a statement. It's a recognition of who stood in the lesser role and who stood in the greater role. But Jesus, like he does, assumes the role of the lesser, saying to John, in essence, hey, this is what we're doing, uh, and it's necessary to the whole corpus of God's saving work in the world. Now, I don't think, and actually the, you know, the, the words in our text are, Jesus says, let it 
be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. I don't think John understood any of that, much less, you know, we don't. I mean, Jesus basically pulled the, these aren't the droids you're looking for, and was baptized. Now, it is confusing because John's baptism is for repentance. It's, if you were baptized by John, you were making a statement about yourself that you are in need of God's grace and mercy. The early church, the ancient church, um, they didn't ignore this story, but they didn't know what to do with it either. There was a lot of confusion over why is Jesus in the river to be baptized um, Lots of different ideas have developed, but the prevailing understanding across the years is simply this, that Jesus stood in the river on that day uh, as his first public act um, because it was in that river where people stood and declared their need for grace and mercy and where at the hands of baptism, their sins flowed downstream. Jesus seems to say, I will start my ministry where that is happening. I want to be where that kind of exchange is taking place. That is where Jesus goes. Got it? So the question I want us to reflect on this morning is simply this. Where do all of our sins go? Where do all of our sins go? All of our missteps, our mistakes, our failings, our willful acts of harm and betrayal, our thoughts of anger and hatred and disdain, where do all those go? I think you know the answer. They go in your file. (laughs) Don't they? They go in your file. They go in my file. Everybody keeps a file on you. Everybody. My son just randomly the other day says, I wonder what my FBI agent looks like. I said, what? He's like, you know, everybody's got an agent. I think Mickey was like, she looks like me now. Go clean your room. But every one of us uh, has experienced that. You know, we, we fumble through life. Uh, we make a lot of mistakes. We do a lot of things wrong intentionally. Um, we hurt people. We hurt ourselves. We hurt systems. We all participate at some level, knowingly or unknowingly, in acts of injustice. Um, all of us struggle with hate and judgmentalism, all of us. Um, It's a difficult life to live, this life of purity and moral perfection. It's, It's hard. And so the question that the Bible raises is where do all of our sins go? Now in our culture, again, they just go on your file. People just keep track of that. Every one of us has a past that could ruin our future. And there's this real societal interest right now in digging up all the ways we blew it back in the day. 
Joel and I were talking a few weeks ago, and I just raised the question, I wonder if the Lutheran church will ever have to rebrand, because Luther said some pretty unwoke stuff back in the day. (laughs) But you know, like, whatever it is that we've done that has either upset people or has hurt people or uh, it's just been a public failure or whatever, there is, again, and I'm not talking faith or religion here. I'm just talking about the world we live in. There truly is this secular hell where people are sent. They go, and it's really hard to get out. And uh, it's funny. It's funny how pure our culture is trying to become. And I find myself sometimes thinking, I bet the church looks really unpure because we still have this crazy message of, um, yeah, whatever you've done, whoever you are, you're welcome here. And that's an upstream message right now. Because a lot of people live out their days in secular hell. And it's very difficult to get out. And then the Apostle Paul writes in that beloved chapter 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, he writes, love keeps no record of what? Wrongs. And we read that and we think, that's, I think that's a different love (laughs) than what I'm used to. It's nearly impossible. And of course, Paul is speaking of the kind of love that God has for us. And it is a kind of love that we are to practice as much as possible. So our sins, they go downstream. I think Jesus liked the visual display of baptism in a river. I think he stood in there for lots of reasons, but one of them was, this is a great visual for what grace does. And I don't think our world will ever change its relationship with the moral scoreboard. And there's always going to be a price to pay. But there is this other story that exists in the cosmos, this alternative story of grace and mercy and forgiveness. It's very difficult for us to comprehend. That God would not only forgive us, but allow all of our sins to wash away. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope that in your, your mind, you're saying to yourself at this very moment, I, I like that. I want that. And that's, where, that's the kind of world we all want, you know? Um, I'm always skeptical when I see, like, bumper stickers of, like, um, you know, really dramatic statements of, acceptance and love of people, but I'm pretty sure um, that person still struggles with hate of certain people, as, as, as do I and as do you. It is a world that we want, but it probably is not a world we're gonna get, at least not now. And so the church, again, I talk about this a lot, but the church is, is a practice session uh, for heaven, And if it's only for an hour a week um, for you, 
Uh, hopefully it's that. <laughs> the new statistics are 1.6 times a month people go to church. Um, some of you are like, that sounds about right. Uh, I don't know what the point six is. I don't know what that is. Like, I, do see, I, I have seen people leave during the sermon. Maybe that's the point six. Um, came last week. I'm done here. Um, I don't know. But if it's just that hour a week, we have this opportunity to, even if it's hard to believe, to sit in here and stand in here together and sing and to pray and to uh, make announcements about this kind of love that not only forgives, but forgets who we were and even who we are. Amen? And again, I don't think the world's going to shift, but maybe this is an opportunity uh, for the church to practice the kind of world that's coming. I want to close with uh, my favorite uh, psalm in the Bible. I'm just going to read a portion of it, and it's Psalm 103. And uh, Psalm 103 is very special, and it's been a psalm that I have returned to uh, countless times uh, in times of um, in seasons where I needed to hear hear these words, and I assume that you're going to need to hear these as well. But I want to read um, a portion of this, and then I'll close in prayer, uh, and then we'll sit quietly for a few moments. Starting with verse one, the writer says, um, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits." who forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, and who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And this verse right here, as far as the east is from the west, so far he removed our transgressions from us. Amen. I love verse 13 and 14, and we'll close with these. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust, that we are fragile. Uh, No one builds a retaining wall out of dust. So it's an indictment on who we are, and it's an honest assessment of our station. But it's also this hopeful reminder that God remembers who we are. And you can hang your hat on this for the rest of your faith journey. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our sins from us. As far as the east is from the west, it's a long way. It's a statement of eternity. And so I want to leave you with that as an encouragement so a lot of things you can talk about with the baptism of Jesus, but I think the most important thing here is this, that Jesus began his 
public ministry in the water where people like you and me must stand and make that announcement that we are in need of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. And Jesus was saying, that's where I want to be because that's where that exchange is happening. Amen.